Welcome to BitPolite. Are you a guy? Are you a polite guy? Come by Cryptocurrency. <laughs> Good morning, basic brethren. This is going to be another edition of the Crypto Basic Podcast. Today is Friday flagship number 33, and we're coming at you live with all three hosts today. Myself as Michael Lockie. I'm here with Brent Philbin. Hey, 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 And I'm also here with Kareem Baruke. Also, I am here playing Kareem Baruke, just like Michael. I'm here as Kareem Baruke. So very excited, playing myself. Straight rolls are the easiest ones, so I've heard. For any of you that are unfamiliar uh, with If he's what- playing Kareem, he's not a straight roll. <laughs> Boom! Wow. All right. One zero, Brent. We'll keep the tally going. Well played. Well played. <laughs> And for those of you who are unfamiliar with what to expect in the Friday flagship, we like to cover cryptocurrency events and discuss all the nonsense that's getting tossed around in this space. Without further ado, let's get started off with a couple of announcements. Brent, what's on your mind? Well, we're going to be talking about lots of things today. We're going to be talking about uh, some stuff that happened with our cryptocurrency. We're going to be talking about the what we're going to do with our 101s in the future. we got a 15-year-old kid breaking McAfee in half. There's a Reddit user that took a bad loan. AT&T's getting their asses sued off. Another exchange might be moved to Malta. IOTA drama is finally done. And we might have gotten around the SEC with a little crypto action in the mainstream. But then after that, we'll get crypto around the world and some mailbag. All right, DJ Brent, thanks for sharing that. We appreciate it. In any event, let's move on to the announcements section. Brent, what is going on with our partnership with our cryptocurrency? Well, it's still there, believe it or not. We still have a partnership. So uh, we were supposed to start recording on Tuesday last week. And we showed up and nothing was like ready or doing anything. So it turns out they plan on pushing it back a week. But uh, they forgot to tell all of us. So we were the first ones that were going to do it. There's, I think, six or seven partners with them when, in different time slots. So luckily, we took one for the team. And now we know for sure there's been an actual official announcement on Reddit. We'll link to it in the show notes and everything. We are good to go starting next Tuesday. Crypto Basic in the Cryptocurrency Discord. We're going to be talking smack for about an hour and... Join us in there if you are interested. So real quick, just so that everybody understands fully, that's going to be at 11 a.m. Eastern time. It's going to start August the 21st. It's going to be in the Discord server for the R Cryptocurrency. We'll link that in our Discord server. The plan is going to be to talk for about an hour. We're going to field some Q&A questions, some ask me anything type things, as well as cover some of the news and current events that are going on in that subreddit, more specifically than you know what we do in the flagship where we try to cover a large range of topics. And the other thing we were looking to cover, Brent, what are we deciding to do with the upcoming polls for our 101 projects? So... Basically, as I was sitting around trying to think, like, what are we doing for our next 101? And I'm trying to come up with it. I realized a lot now that we've covered all like the big coins, like we're we're really getting down to the point where it's going to be some pet projects for a lot of people. Um, you know, some of them are still kind of big, but for the most part, it's, you know, we've gotten outside of that big market cap there. So I think what we're what we need to be doing is having polls, figuring out who wants to see what 101s. So. 
I think starting next week, we're going to start putting them in the Discord. We may put a couple on Twitter, but really, our Discord is the main place we interact with people. So that's where we're going to do it. So if you want to have a voice in which 101s we're going to cover in the future, jump on the Discord and vote. Yeah, and you don't even have to wait uh, also for the poll. You know, you guys can always submit stuff to us. Some of our favorite coins that we've covered, or at least I can say this for myself, were brought up by one of our listeners. For example, um, Ontology. That was one that was requested by a listener or somebody was like, hey, you should really look into this project. We ended up learning about it. It's probably one of my favorite projects. So if you think there's something good out there, get on our Discord. Be like, hey, you guys should really look at this. And, you know, just don't get offended if we don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, don't get offended at anything that we do, especially when we're being offensive. Thank you. I think people can go ahead and assume that they probably will get slightly offended at some point. I just don't think that it's going to go too far. That's that's the goal. We want to keep it very reasonable. All right, guys, let's move on to the news section. Kareem, I'm going to give you an opportunity to steal one of Brent's favorite topics. What did a 15-year-old kid do with the game Doom? Wow. <laughs> Wait, which part of that is my favorite topic? All right, so yes, as we know, 15-year-old kids are Brent's favorite topic. He keeps getting older. They stay the same. (laughs) (laughs) There is that offensive topics we uh, didn't stray too far. Jesus. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right, listen. All kidding around aside, though, there's two parts to this story. Really, it's not about the 15-year-old kid, and it's not even about uh, Doom. It's about McAfee and this wallet, which I think we covered a little bit, but there's even an extra step. So here's basically the rundown, right? McAfee was bragging about this new cryptocurrency wallet that he was launching that you know was unhackable, Bitfee. Uh, they made that like a huge part of the selling point. You know, you can't hack it. It's super secure. And then they even put a bounty that said anybody that could hack it and remove $10 from the wallet uh, would become eligible for the bounty. So the first news that started circulating was, oh, you know, Bitfy wallet was hacked by a 15-year-old kid. But what happens, though, is he didn't really hack it completely. Like, basically, he was able to install the game of Doom, like you said, Mike, and he was able to play it on the system. But obviously... Even though, you know, as much as they brag and they're like, oh, we're the first unhackable device, the quintessential expression of disruptive research. That's how they sold it. So, yeah, it's kind of a little flaw, but it's really not a full on hack. The fact that some kid can play Doom. So that wasn't eligible for the bounty. But it got a little bit more interesting. First, here was the response from Bitfeast Twitter. Now, remember, this is a company that said that they were going to give $250,000 to anybody that can remove the $10. And they even encouraged, uh, you know, hackers to participate. And they were going to send them uh, a Bitfee wallet that they could, like, experiment with and everything. And when the story of this kid came out on Twitter, they sent out the following tweet. This is my last tweet as my shift is ending. But did you guys ever bother to look into who, who you picked a fight with and the resources that these people have? Not wise. Remember that the lies and deception that you deliberately spread about Bitfee can have consequences. So, of course, the wow. best strategy against 15-year-olds is to publicly uh, threaten them. That worked out really well. But then there's That's more. That's the, uh, the Trevon James uh, method, right? <laughs> that was 
or I guess it wasn't him, but it was like some guys he was friends with that were telling Doug not to talk shit about him because they, oh, yeah, they were yeah, messing yeah. with the other YouTubers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, I wouldn't. I would have messed with Trayvon. Mm-mm, that's a bad move. <laughs> I don't know why uh, I thought you were <laughs> to trying to reference a police shooting there, and I was like, "That's Where Trayvon Martin." Yeah, I was like, wow. "Where is he going Martin. with yeah, this?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, another group of researchers were also working on the Bitfee wallet, and here are the specific criteria by which they believe that they successfully hacked the BitFee wallet. Number one, they were able to modify the device while it was still connected to the BitFee server, and they were able to send sensitive data. So there's a hacker by the name of Andrew Turney who goes by Cyber Gibbons online. It's like his monocle or his screening. And Moniker. Moniker. I said monocle. Mon- oh, my monocle God. Monocle is, is that thing. Yes. That's all right. That's that's Kareem's English fuck up of the day. <laughs> Sorry. That's so a cool they take one. the mo- they take the monocle from the Monopoly guy and then they said beat fee. No. <laughs> <laughs> so uh here's the interesting part. So they were able to hack into the device, and even though they didn't take the money out, this is what I got from the article, they managed to send the device's private keys to a remote server while it was still connected to the server. And they were able to send the passphrase as well, the seed recovery phrase. So for all intents and purposes, it seems like the security of BitFee has been cracked. Uh, obviously, these people haven't been paid a bounty. I haven't really seen a response from McAfee. But more importantly, why would you buy this over a ledger? Let's just be real. Like, no, this is you know, a McAfee product. So that's basically it. 15-year-old fake hacked them, and then he got the wallet got really broken, in my opinion. I can think of a couple reasons to buy this over Ledger. Uh, one, you're giving it to a friend and uh, you want to retain access to their money. <laughs> Two, to a maybe friend. you want to play Doom on your wallet. Um, Yeah, no. So all joking around aside, we don't recommend this wallet. Um, I wish that there was some kind of sponsor link that we could put in our website that would get us paid every time somebody didn't buy a BitFee wallet. Uh, but I don't think that process exists. <laughs> it's not logical. It's so. like, I've chosen not to buy a BitFee. <laughs> I'm sending $5 to the Crypto Missing <laughs> Podcast. I think we have an Ethereum address in there now, so you can like do a reverse if you want. Always leave it to Brent to make sure he pushes the, the revenue. <laughs> Anything else we want to cover on the story? I feel like it's... It's kind of old news, but if it was necessary to cover, but I don't think there's any relevant twists we need to add to this. You, any, either of you guys have anything else to say? Nope. No, don't do anything John Maxby is involved in. Just to, like the second he's involved in it, get out of it. That's it. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to agree. Next up is a somewhat of a difficult and sad story from the perspective of being a fan of the cryptocurrency space. But Brent, you found a story on Reddit about a guy that took a loan for cryptocurrency trading. And uh, unfortunately, this didn't work out for him. What happened? Yeah, I, I just thought it was important, that, like he thought when he posted on Reddit, to just have this uh, this kind of cautionary tale, right? So on Reddit, this guy posted images of the loan that he took with this massive... Uh, interest payment and he took it to invest in crypto basically at the top of the market he said he's down 85 percent uh he's going to be working the rest of his life to try and pay off this loan which unless crypto recovers he won't so and i talked people out of taking loans even though i was i believed in this space there were multiple people who said to me i should just take a loan 
buy some more crypto. And I said, no, absolutely don't do that. That's crazy. That is kind of what happened and caused the, the housing crisis in a nutshell. So really, so this guy took out a $110,000 loan and his interest is $2,200 a month. And that is now only worth about $15,000 in uh, US dollars. So um, if, there's a link in the show notes, but please be very, very careful. We, we don't do a lot of price analysis on the show. Obviously, the markets are way down. There is, the, there, you know, you could see there is a buying opportunity. But if you think that a buying opportunity is to go out and take a $100,000 loan, I got news for you. That is not, it, we have no idea if this is the bottom. It could continue to go down. There's nobody knows. Stop listening to people who tell you. Because all those people were telling you we were going to the fucking moon three weeks ago. So Yeah, one of the things I just want to add as, as a reminder here, we've never experienced what we're currently experiencing in the crypto markets as far as just an entire new revolution of asset class. And I mean, obviously, we're a little bit younger than a lot of people that are in the financial world. But this is so unique to me that anybody, like Brent said, anybody that actually thinks they know what's going on probably doesn't. Now, people could say, I am hopeful of this, but I understand that that might not happen. Those people, yeah, a little different. But anybody that has any projections or solid ideas or anything they're overly confident about, you need to take that with a serious grain of salt. Yeah. I mean, but what these guys already covered, and I think another point to make is that even if you buy into the cryptocurrency revolution all the way, right? Like, let's say we agree, number one, this is a game-breaking technology. It's a foundational technology that's going to create a ton of value. We haven't seen this type of monetization scheme for networks. Uh, Bitcoin can replace everything. You can believe whatever you want. It doesn't mean that some of the most fundamental rules about investment go out the window just because something new has been created. So number one, nobody can predict the market. You don't know when the bottom is. You really don't. You don't know. Like That's why it's hilarious to see these YouTubers that are like, oh, well, you know, right now, uh, Neo is just really cheap. It's really cheap because it was more expensive two months ago. So that means it's really cheap. Okay, fair enough. That doesn't really mean much. <laughs> and the same thing goes for buying investments by using debt. Now, I'm not saying that there is no place for that. But for the majority of people, myself included, and very likely whoever's listening to this, investment through debt is not a good idea because it exposes you to excessive risk if the value of the underlying assets goes down. It also starts eating away into your profitability because you're paying interest on that, right? So if you're paying 5 6% interest and the asset that you're buying grows at a normal rate of 7 or 8% a year, you're barely squeaking out uh, gains there in order to massively expose yourself to extra risk where you could have this situation happen where now this guy has no asset and he's paying all this interest on a loan debt, whatever. So anyway, um, be smart, be responsible. The trick here is to save up money and to use some of your disposable income to invest in a good asset class, not to put yourself in a perilous situation such as this. And then stop looking at the price. Now, if you didn't listen to our Wednesday episode, when we when we say stop looking at the price, we like kind of mean it. Kareem really means it because <laughs> on our Wednesday episode, he thought that Ethereum was $800. Like, hasn't been $800 for months, but he's like, no, it's 800 right? So that was <laughs> that in was case a guess you're wondering it. whether, you know, that sometimes it's do as I say, not as I do. Nope. Kareem is saying it and he's doing it. Well, I'm looking at the prices again now. When I saw that, by the way, I started scrolling through 
and I looked at Neo, Ada, Zencash. I almost had a heart attack. So I need to start working real hard, <laughs> boys. Like a heart attack in a good way, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. I, but by the way, we said that we don't know if this is the bottom. That doesn't mean it's not a good buying opportunity. I have no idea when a good one is and when a good one isn't. Like we, well, I don't know, but we're all getting crushed uh, with anything that we bought recently. But uh, just don't take out any loans to fix that problem. That you know, I I would imagine this guy defaults on this loan because why at this point how can he afford to keep paying twenty two hundred dollars a month? Maybe he's really well off. I don't know, but uh, that's exactly what happened with the financial crisis. People got in over their heads, their assets started to go down a little bit, and they're like, ah, fuck it, bankruptcy. Yeah, and you know what, dude? If anything, you know, I guess this is getting a little personal, but like, I feel good specifically through this market when crypto blew up. I really made an effort last year to put as much capital as I could afford to do responsibly into crypto. And it just got to the point where I was like, all right, I've put in like a reasonable amount. And now I need to focus on my personal finances, you know, like reduce debt, all those types of things. And I honestly like think that's what most people should try to do. Like make sure that your foundation is solid before you put yourself out there, you know. And just a reminder this is obviously I, I discussed earlier. It's a new asset class. Things are very different now, but we don't have any idea where the bottom is, as these guys were saying. But most importantly, what is your crypto allocation like compared to your other allocations? This, you know, be, we believe in the long term. So we may be holding 10, 20 years. Would either of the two of you be surprised if it takes 10 years for like legit mass adoption to start occurring? It wouldn't surprise me at all. It wouldn't surprise me at all if 10 years from now, Bitcoin is at like 8,000. It wouldn't surprise me. But obviously, we're taking a chance that there's many other possible outcomes. So make sure you keep a small enough portion of crypto that you can afford the swings because nobody knows what kind of roller coaster we're about to go on. Yeah. And dude, the one big crash that happened after Mt. Gox, how long did that last? Years, right? You know, and and even when people make some comparisons about the dot com boom and the crash, I, I don't have the numbers right in front of me. I don't know the specifics, but I'm pretty sure it's not like Amazon stock crashed and then like six months later it was good. I'm pretty right. sure like it took a while to come back. And the people that were thinking 10, 15 years down the road, well, guess what? Now we are 15 years down the road and Amazon is a monster. So, all right, let's move on to a story that involves. A uh, cell phone giant AT&T and a potential hack that was used to obtain some crypto assets. Brent, what happened here? Yeah, so this is an interesting story here. And I, what it represents, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. So basically, AT&T is being sued uh, by this guy, Michael Turpin, who is the founder of a group called the Transform Group. Transform Group is like a PR and strategic communications firm. They've worked with tons of ICOs and and. Even in the younger days of Ethereum, EOS, Ripple, etc., like they have worked with all of the big cryptos, right? Some they either had their SIM cards spoofed, or they had uh, the port number thing where somebody ports your number over to a new phone, and it broke their two-factor authentication uh, a while back, and they lost twenty-four million in crypto at the time. These people got access to their two FA. And got rid of it and got their got rid of their crypto. They are suing AT&T for 224 million. They're 20, the 24 million they lost and 200 million in damages. 
uh, because they believe that their security was lax, like that they allowed somebody to take their number and move it over. So I'm I'm wondering what responsibility we think that AT and T has here on this, and should you know should they kind of lose this lawsuit? I mean, we don't know a ton about it, but it, this is on the, the the cell phone carrier is 100 responsible for who gets to port your number over. Um, before we talk about that, I will say to to the listeners, you can call your telephone company, all of them in the U.S. at least. They have something called port validation. Uh, you can. You can basically call them and put an extra step that requires a PIN number for porting out any phone numbers if your number goes over. So make sure you call your company and do that. Add your PIN so that somebody has to use that on top of trying to port your number out. Also, stop using two-factor authentication that's attached to your phone number. So don't use Authy. Don't uh, use Google Authenticator. There are, use the ones that are independent of your phone number. That way they can't spoof it. So yeah, anyway, what do we... like? What Do we think that... AT&T should lose this lawsuit? Like, uh, Okay, I'll go first. I don't, to be honest with you, I don't know. I would need the specifics of the case in order to like make an educated opinion here because I don't know how the two-factor authentication was broken. I don't know. How, like, I don't know. I guess I, I would like some context here as to like how lax was the individual's personal security. I'll tell you right now, 200 200 million dollars in damages which means that he's going for 10x losses it seems a little high obviously but my guess is you go high and then you you set a low medium or whatever well i yeah i think he's probably factoring in the gains or whatever because this was a while ago that this was stolen yeah i'm sure exactly they they can factor in gains all kind of stuff like that so but the truth is i don't know i really don't know to like if he can prove that AT&T had a massive security failure and that it cost them this amount of money and that's part of their contract and I I guess he really does have a claim to make but I also like as much as I hate AT&T there's also got to be like a limit to liability right like if you know you can't be infinitely responsible for everything if like if these guys did something way like if the way that they broke this is something that goes way beyond the reasonable expectation of AT&T to be able to defend against. Um, I don't know if that makes a lot of sense, but I could see scenarios where it's not, it doesn't make sense for AT&T to lose that much money over it. I don't know. Real quick, I have a story that is very relevant here. So I actually have this PIN number on my phone number because I, and I'm going to mess some of the details of the story up, but to the best of my knowledge, somewhere between two and three years ago, there was a really big collection of hacks that were occurring at a poker stars event. I I'm going to guess it was Barcelona, but that city could, it could have been a different European city, but there was a very large poker event. One of the biggest of the year at this location and a bunch of hackers were going really far above and beyond to try to hack into the accounts of the poker stars players. And a lot of these guys will show up to these events with millions of dollars in these online poker accounts. Very common. So, it was actually a story that broke where they were using the phone numbers. And I and Brent, what is the exact term where you try to hack into something through verbal ways? Like you call some you call ATT and you try to get the number. You you social just social engineering. Social engineering, thanks. So the hackers were social engineering 
um, the phones and because PokerStars had a two-factor authentication set up through the phones, they were able to steal a bunch of phones. They ended up getting a tremendous amount of money from these accounts. Like I want to say it was eight figures worth of money was stolen through these venues. So I decided to take care of that at this time. And I think to answer your original question or Kareem, it might've been, um, to answer one of the original questions, where does the responsibility lie? Honestly, in my opinion, I don't think AT&T should necessarily be responsible for a 10x gain on a situation like this because on some level, there is responsibility on the custody holders to make sure that everything is secure and done properly. I feel like they should have probably had done a little more to prevent this. And I don't think it's necessarily fair to put all the blame on AT&T with the limited information I have from this story. Yeah. But again, just to clarify, though, if if it was like a clear, like, let's say that there was just a, a huge fault in the basic procedure that AT&T is supposed to follow, then in that case, I would put more liability on them. You know what I mean? I guess that's I don't I don't know how relevant that is, but it in part is part of the security procedure. Like, did these people f- like find a a super obscure attack vector that they were able to exploit, and like it's one of those things that's really hard to stop, or was AT and T lazy and sloppy with their standard security protocols? I think that one case is negligence, and the other case is like an extraneous circumstance. Again, I have very limited info on this story, and I have a weird example that I I might be using the anchoring bias to kind of hold on to this, but I believe at the time, a couple years ago when this hack happened, it was really next-level stuff. Like, the the details of the story that were being released were pretty scary, pretty Ocean's Eleven-like, so... How much of that has changed over a couple of years? It, it, way above my peer grade, I have no idea. My instinct says this was probably pretty elaborate, pretty in-depth. Obviously, right, if it was super simple, then you know, ignore that. Yeah, I don't know how in, I don't know how in-depth it was. I think it was just as simple as as getting the number flopped over to break two FA. So they may have been involved with social engineering, something like that. Speaking of social engineering. I feel like I miss my calling in life. If I had learned a little bit more about tech, I could have easily started a social engineering firm. That would be like right up my alley. But uh, it's not it, too late. it is really cool. Social engineering firms, they like they basically do. If you've seen the latest episode of Better Call Saul, uh, they like they just like go in and try to walk in there and be like, <laughs> let's see what I can do. And and then the further they get, the more they're like, yep, you've got all these security vulnerabilities. I guarantee you there are, that, that nobody ever hired a social engineering firm at some of those casinos that I've been a part of because their security is bad. You think it's like all Ocean's Eleven where they're in like the back room with facial recognition and they can like catch you the second you walk in the door no matter what you're doing. And it is not that at all. It's not. This is not criminal advice. Please do not take anything Brent says seriously. <laughs> Yeah, don't don't go trying to break into casinos. Maybe their maybe their uh, security's better. All righty, guys, let's move on to a story involving a f- couple more cryptocurrency exchanges moving to Malta to join Binance. Kareem, what are we looking at here? Yeah, we already heard about Binance going right. So there is another exchange called ZB.com. Z is in zebra. 
beersinbrent.com. So they're actually the fifth largest cryptocurrency exchange by volume. They're doing about $400 million a day, which um, I looked it up and that's a lot of money. So they it sounds ha- like they must be doing one of those like transaction mining. I've never heard of them. Uh, I don't know. 400 million daily volume. Whatever. Anyway, ZB.com, they're moving to St. Julian, which is one of the business centers in Malta. So that now makes Binance, OKEX, and DQR that have been moving there. And it looks like Malta is moving aggressively to try to become like a cryptocurrency capital. This is like... On all cylinders, the government's firing. Um, They have a parliamentary secretary for digital economy and innovation. He tweeted um, a bunch of pictures. Oh, Brent, can you get this name for us, please? (laughs) Uh, It is Silvio Schembri. Ooh. Not bad. Even had a little bit of an accent there. I liked it. All right. Yeah. So Silvio Schembri tweeted out. um, He was bragging about this company moving to Malta. In the tweet, he included obviously what the firm is offering and he wrote i'm really excited about your 20 million dollar investment over the next three years uh they expect to employ 150 people so it looks like guys malta is going to in fact become a cryptocurrency capital in the world so i figured we were going to play a little bit of a game it's a little Chinese auction, Laden thinks style, but you guys are just going to do a bid. I'm going to give you a little bit of information. I thought this would be fun. You guys are going to do a Chinese auction style to try to guess the population of Malta. No Googling, no nothing. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing I want to tell you guys. Number one, this Mediterranean paradise is one of the <laughs> smallest islands at 122 square miles, but it is also considered one of the most densely populated for its size and it has been continuously uh people have been living in malta for the last consecutive eight thousand years so here for the entertainment of the crypto basic audience we are going to see which one of you guys gets closer chinese auction the population of malta the future cryptocurrency capital brent begin the bid okay i'll take the over on fifty thousand, bob uh hundred thousand I will. For those of you listening, that means Mike is betting Brent that the population is larger than 100,000. Brent can take the bet here or he can continue to go higher. He's thinking I, about it. I, I'll take the over. Bob Bob will take the over on 175,000. 175,000 is the over. Michael. What is 200,000, Kareem? 200,000 is a number. It's equal to 100,000 times two. Is that your bid? Correct. He'll take the over on 200,000. Hey, you better, better, better. All right. Uh, well, Samir, I'll take the over on 300,000. 400,000. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Oh, All right, I'll take the over on a million. <laughs> Countdown timer, because this is not fun for people that are just looking at your face. I am going to counter 1.1. 1.1 million up. Right. All right, call. Brent calls. Brent is now saying that the population of Malta, it is under 1.1 million humans. Michael has taken the side that it is more than 1.1 million humans. And the population of Malta is 475,000. Point goes to Brent. Brent, you are now the official geography expert of Crypto Basic. When Crypto Basic gets an ambassadorship, 
at Malta. It will be you. Mike, you've lost your privilege to be an ambassador for Malta. And uh, anyway, that's the end of our story. So for the listeners out there, the strategy involved in what I did there was I raised the number really high because I knew that when I raised the number really high with confidence, Mike would definitely outbid me, but I knew it was too high. So that's why I immediately took it as soon as he outbid me. Classic fool's mate Whoa. strategy. Extra points here. A call back to our Game Theory episode. Now, if you want to be a Game Theory master like Brent Timus Philbemus, I recommend our Game Theory 101 episode and our Game Theory roundtable discussion with Rob Viglioni. Fantastic, Brent. You get an extra point there for uh, mentioning Game Theory. And uh, Mike, the you get drop? minus... What did you say? I don't have it. Where's the coin oh, drop? Oh, yeah, yeah. Brent, yeah I, I the went to look drop? for it. I... That's it. Minus two points for not having the coin drop. <laughs> The game is a tie. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Moving on from Malta. uh, What is the population of IOTA, Brent? (laughs) Oh, damn. All right. The population of IOTA's board is now five. So they have actually added. The only reason I wanted to put this in the episode is because we we talked about it on uh, Wednesday's episode and on the Friday flagship and at the end. at the recording of both of those, they still hadn't finalized this, but now their board is now all five of the original founders, apparently the Sostenbo puppets. <laughs> but yeah, we don't, we don't know that, but they're done. That's it. I just wanted to say that because we've said a couple things about it. The Sostenbo puppets. That sounds like an alternative band. <laughs> all right. That's all I wanted to discuss about IOTA. Let's move on to an interesting offering from Fidelity. What are they doing, Brent? Okay, well, it's not it's not from Fidelity. It, you can get it in your Fidelity account, but it is an exchange-traded note, an ETN. It is going to function kind of like those ETFs. So basically what happened is the ETFs are continuously getting stalled and not happening. So somebody just said, eh, fuck it. And they created a fund. Uh, it's a company called CoinShares Co. And each share, each note in this is a Bitcoin. And, or some portion thereof. I didn't actually look that much into it as whether it's 0.1 or if it's full Bitcoin. But basically, the whatever amount of Bitcoin there is, the share will be issued at that number of Bitcoin that's being purchased. The notes have a maturity date, much like bonds. Like So you can't just get your full Bitcoin right away. You, you're buying a note uh, and you're owed that Bitcoin and then you bring it to maturity at some point. Uh, but... It essentially will then track the Bitcoin price, hopefully trading at a lower uh, premium than the GVTC uh, fund. So, so far, it can be purchased through Fidelity. I don't know that anybody else that you can be purchased through anybody else. But it was interesting to see that there are ways around um, the the SEC, for some reason, just refusing to pass crypto ETFs. (laughs) Which, by the way, it's important to note that a crypto ETF is... Nice and cool. Like everyone should have the opportunity to invest in this, even if they don't understand. If they think that crypto is the future, they should be able to do this. But it's almost like the crypto community hinges on, like, oh, we need this ETF so that the price can moon. You don't really need that's not what crypto is about. So stop it. Crypto is about the tech. All right, let's move on to crypto around the world. Akram, you're up. What is the Indian government's stance on crypto becoming? Yeah, there was a story. This was um, shared to us by degenerate Brahmin, Crypto Basics official India correspondent. 
And uh, it's pretty cool. You know, we know that they have had a cryptocurrency ban basically in India. They've been moving really slowly with cryptocurrency adoption. Um, but now the Indian government is considering allowing crypto tokens for uh, metro cards and airline tickets. So does that mean that you're going to be able to use Bitcoin and Ethereum in order to buy your metro passes? Well, no, not exactly, actually. It looks like they're looking for uh, tokens that would basically represent money, but they're not necessarily, quote unquote, um, replacing money. So what I gather from that is that they want to make their own token, which is related to their currency, right? Not like, oh, just grab some Bitcoin. But they are exploring the possibilities of using a blockchain-based system in order to make their, let's say, for example, metro cards or airline miles more efficient, more transparent, uh, more difficult to cheat, etc. So believe it or not, I actually found Degenerate Brahmin's commentary on the article even more interesting than the article itself. The article itself was pretty simple. But one of the things that he said is like, they're basically co-opting the technology of the blockchain to improve accountability through tokenization of money in the smart card system. And it will help the type of micropayment systems being implemented in most cities across the world today. And then he adds that even though he's usually pretty critical of the government of India for being a little bit too slow and archaic when it comes to uh, its methods and routines, he says that when it comes to this and cryptocurrency, he does feel that their actions have been sensible, nimble, you know, basically they're moving in the right direction, even if they're moving slowly. So it's just a cool little update. India's not completely shut off to crypto. You know, they're just moving at their own pace. I feel like it's a pretty fast pace from ban to, yeah, actually we're going to use it <laughs> to, in like public transit. That's kind of. I feel like everybody has their aha moment, even like the Indian government. Like it's eventually you're just going to be like, well, I'm running out of excuses not to use this. But guys, all right, all right, but a real quick time out there to temper expectations. Let's say that we go a year and a half into the future or two years into the future. If India implements a blockchain based tokenized system for their public transportation, however, they maintain that none of their banks can do any services regarding Bitcoin or Ethereum. Are you guys going to consider that India moved forward with crypto? I'm going to say yes. And the reason that I'm going to say that is because I think a lot of what is stopping the government itself, as we've mentioned before, is the the fear of, you know, illicit activity, criminal activity with the Bitcoin and Ethereum and other systems. I honestly think the only reason that it's going to go slow from a government perspective is just that they want to learn. There's so much more to learn about what crypto is, what it represents and how we're going to use it. It's super easy for me to for to like think of the government just saying, OK, that's the explanation for that's for. So so we could do this with it. OK, let's try that. We'll see how that works. And once we get an idea of how that works, well, then we'll start looking at other places we could use it. So I think that as if they are implementing it, then they're giving themselves a chance to learn it. And my example would be, you know, this would be like introducing the Internet to the government in the 1990s. Like there's probably people that are very against it. There are probably people that were very for it. But now it's everywhere. So it's going to take time either way. Well, I mean, I think that's a good example as far as the Internet from the perspective of maybe something like China, which has, in fact, obviously they do have Internet in their uh, society, but it's still a very regulated Internet. And it's not the same Internet that we have in the West. So in this particular example, like, yes, I do feel it's good that um, they're exploring cryptocurrency. I mean, blockchain efficiency into their systems. But 
we shouldn't conflate at all, right? Because I still feel that it, it could easily be that they start implementing blockchain technology in certain sectors while still being very draconian, blocking Bitcoin, blocking Ethereum, blocking exchanges, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I would say that this is a tepid step forward, but I'm not so convinced that they're, well, I guess we'll see how it plays out moving forward. Anything that, Brett? No, nope, nope. I'm, yes, Kareem took care of that. I'm good. Cool. Nope, nope, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. All right, Kareem, you're up again. It looks like a Thai SEC has cleared some operators to serve clients in crypto. What is this all about? Yeah, okay, so this is actually a really important story for two reasons. Number one, it's about Thailand. And number two, I'm probably going to Thailand next year. Yeah, I just wanted to brag, really. But it's a real story. Anyway. Oh, you're right. I just, yeah. I just, uh, I just started. JJ just showed up here last night, already getting the pressure to go with you. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Apparently, apparently, Paola told her, and she's just like, "Come on, you gotta go. We gotta go. We gotta go." I, I like Thailand. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so the SEC won't let me be. Not just kidding, guys. The Thai SEC is opening up to crypto. Um, they have approved seven different business entities to conduct cryptocurrency operations. What does that mean? Well, they've led um, a couple of companies. One of them is Bitcoin Company, BitCup, Cash to Coins, TDAX, and CoinAsset. Those are all exchanges, which the Thai government has now approved. There's also two things called cryptocurrency dealers, which apparently are not exchanges. What is the difference between an exchange and a dealer? I don't know. I really don't. But anyway, so it was five, it was seven businesses total, five exchanges, two dealers. And then another interesting thing, the Thai government, the Thai SEC actually showed interest in having ICOs try to launch, but be approved, be like, they wanted to have like an ICO incubation process, I guess, or a community, 50 different applicants, um, turned in applications in order to launch an ICO. And only five of those met the required uh, prerequisites. So overall, I think it's pretty cool. Thailand getting involved in the crypto game. And apparently the rules are good enough that only 10% of applicants uh, make it. So that's a nice little filter. And uh, yeah, Thailand rocks. Definitely the best thing you said out of that entire speech was the fact that only five of them met the prerequisites and 50 of them applied. I think that... You know, no matter how you want to look at that, that means at some level they're trying to restrict it. They're trying to say these are the prerequisites and you need to meet these minimum criteria. Um, the other thing I wanted to add here, I don't know what a dealer is, but I'm interested. Whatever that means. If anybody needs a dealer, let me know. I've I've done it my whole life. <laughs> I my input here is I didn't read Thai SEC when I was like reading down in the outline. I just saw SEC. And clear seven cryptocurrency operators. Then I started reading like the rest of it, and I'm like, why is one of those a Thai name? So BitCub, Cub is like like this thing that you say to be polite. Like you add it on the end of something, kind of like a I don't know, it's not like saying sir, but it, it makes what you're saying polite. And Cub is the male version. So that company is actually called Bit, and then it's just they're saying it politely to coming from a male. Welcome to Bit Polite. Are you a guy? Are you a polite guy? Come by cryptocurrency. <laughs> anyway, I, I don't know. I just was like, 
that I was just sharing my thought process there. Didn't have a ton to contribute. Obviously, I think maybe 10% of ICOs is probably still even too high, but good thing that they're eliminating some. It's interesting because if it was 50 out of 500, then I would say 10% might be too high. It's kind of a weird thing where I like that only five yeah, got yeah, approved. It's a small it's, sample size. That just means that there's only a couple of people that presented it well enough to meet the minimum criteria. That still might not be very good, but it gives me a lot more hope than, you know, other options. Any rants we looking to have today? Didn't think so. Let's move on to the mailbag section. Yeah. Crit basic. Flags your Friday. You listen to the mailbag drop. Where we break down a member's thoughts. Just starting crypto, don't you stop. Keep listening till you hit the spot. All right, mailbag time. Question number one from our buddy Dade Cointy. <clears throat> he says, how does one remain optimistic and sane in this market with all the scammers scamming? And when a 10K investment is February is worth approximately $34 today. Facepalm, skin tone number two, cry emoji. Mm. Any thoughts, gentlemen? Well, yeah, I mean, first of all, <laughs> first of all, skin tone number two. That's clearly directed at me. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll shotgun the face palm and Brett can have the cry. <laughs> I look, all, all I can say is you preserve your sanity by looking at this as a long-term investment. Guys, it's just we don't have enough information to try to make these short-term movement predictions. Anything that you uh think you might need in six months it's probably a good idea to just not invest it at all because these markets are absolute insanity bitcoin could be 20k again in six months bitcoin could be below its price today in six months we have no idea what the underlying value of these networks are so as far as the scammers avoid the scammers don't go i mean okay so this is obviously my personal opinion but how to avoid scammers well the first filter you could do is try to avoid small projects that you don't know a lot about. Try to invest in major projects that have already been picked apart by the community. You know, don't fall for any phishing scams. Make sure you use official sources. Make sure you take the extra time to look at everything. And then don't look at coin market cap every day, people. Stop it. That's it. <laughs> How does Kareem keep his sanity in this down market, well, he still he stops looking and he thinks Ethereum is still eight hundred. That's how his sanity is intact. No, it's right, called so delusion. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'll go one step further. Again, why we have why we don't talk about price very much on the show is because the tech is the important part. If you are still looking at this thinking blockchain is going to change the future, that's how you keep your sanity. Like the prices are whatever. They're somewhat representative of some things. Obviously, prices going down sucks. I'm not saying, like, look at this and think that, oh, happy, 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 buy more. No, like, it'd be nice if you can buy more, but damn, most people are out of money. Like, they bought all the dips and there's no more dips left, you know? So, so I get that it isn't going to affect your uh, personal well-being in that way, but the tech hasn't changed. In fact, there's been seemingly nothing but good news about adoption about the tech about paving paving the way for the future i so random little anecdote today i or not today sorry uh two days ago i went to the reclamation uh or sorry the the repurpose project here which is this like i think they have them in a couple of cities but they're 
like a junkyard almost where they take things and try to make them sellable as like a thrift shop almost would or a goodwill but it's like more hipster and cool so you so i went in uh, i was looking for a prop for the escape room and it's like an internet theme so i went i was in there and i saw floppy disks and i'm like oh man like i could use those to put stuff on the wall uh for one of the puzzles and i bought 45 of them and they stack up to you know about a foot and a half tall or whatever one of our audio podcast episodes could not fit on all of those discs. And, you know, I looked at that and I did that. I did the math there and I'm like, wow, man, like they're, they're all labeled and stuff. Like they, they were from, uh, they were from February of 1999 was these, these discs that were thrown away. And it really wasn't that long ago. Like that's, we're talking 19 years ago. We could not have put a podcast on 42 P pieces of what everybody was using so that as long as the technology is trending in the right direction things are good i i you know i that's that's where you can take solace and if you had invested in the bigger projects your 10k wouldn't be worth 34 i would imagine that's a lot of like little stuff that i would that's imagine where that's you're running into scams <laughs> i think he was exaggerating well, no He's not saying that his oh, investment I, is well, worth three point five percent of what it used to be worth. If you had bought like ten k worth of nano or something, I think it would probably be worth about that. So, yeah, like you know, just diversify so that you, you should only be down like like eighty percent or eighty five percent. You should be down <laughs> that much. God. All right, I got two things I want to add here. Uh, the very first one uh, piece of advice that I received. Via Twitter, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, I'm going to mention it again. Uh, I read a tweet by Carter Thomas that basically analyzed some of the Apple stock history. And, you know, if you think Bitcoin is going to be a real thing in the future, then why do you care about price? And the way he said it and the way it struck me really hard was, would you rather spend your time learning how to trade an asset or would you rather spend your time working harder so you can just accumulate more and, you know, via dollar cost averaging or whatever? And that really resonated with me. You know, obviously it was early on when we started this podcast was right at the rise of these markets and everybody was super excited and we all thought we were going to be rich. Yada, yada, yada. Obviously that stuff is coming sailed. But now you're presented with an opportunity to actually learn from what you've experienced. Um, I highly recommend a book called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And I promise you, anybody that reads that book is going to just learn so much about life. And you you put your effort and time into things you can control. And what you can control are your long-term investments. Your short-term investments are strictly gambling. So if you're worried about it, keep working harder. Build a portfolio that you're comfortable with to have own in 10, 000, or 10 years from now. And just go back to work, man. I don't know what else to tell you. Right. And I really do think that the time horizon mentally makes a huge difference because once you've told yourself that you're not going to touch that money for X number of years and that there's going to be crazy fluctuations in between, you start separating yourself emotionally in both directions, by the way. So on the flip side of this terrible market, you know, Brent could tell you, I feel very fortunate that I bought Neo when it was like $6. There was a moment where Neo got all the way up to $140. That's like way beyond a 10x return. And I found out because of Brent, he told me. And my response at the time was, 
I'm not going to get excited. It's irrelevant. I'm not touching this money. It's not like I'm going, like this money doesn't exist in my mind because the event horizon for me to actually take this money is at least five years, right? So I know that there's going to be insane fluctuations and I'm not going to torture myself by not selling at the peak or buying more at the bottom because I have no clue where those benchmarks are. So, you know, just try to get a little bit like emotionally detached from the fluctuations because one of the things that we learned in our investment episode about random walk theory, and this is not just cryptocurrency, this is also stocks, these assets are just going to fluctuate in price, man, big time, big time, big time. So if you're emotionally attached to it, then you are signing up yourself for an emotional roller coaster for like the next however many years. And I don't think that's an efficient way to do it. I will say this, though. I don't like the idea of kind of shaming people for caring about the price. Like, bro, you're just not supposed to care about the price. Just shut up and talk about the tech. I I agree that the price is something that people are going to look at. It's something that is going to affect your decisions to add more crypto. And it may even affect some people's decisions as to which ones to cash out, etc. Everyone has a different investing strategy. So I don't want to say like... There's something wrong with you if you're checking the price all the time, or there's something wrong with you if you care about the price. But if you're specifically asking, how do you keep your sanity? This is it. All right. Final mailbag question comes from Crypto Knight. The question is, do you think Greece or other economies in danger could mine as a way to pay their debts, assuming the government made deals, tax incentives or otherwise, with energy providers to get free slash cheap energy very close to power facilities to defray energy loss due to transmission. Hi, guys. Woo! <laughs> that is one hell of a mailbag question. Listen, Kareem is our Kareem is our expert on what can save Greece and what can't. Uh, I he he's, he knows a lot more about that than me, but. The idea of governments leveraging their control over a an electric provider or utilities company to get free electricity to mine is a little bit of a dark path, in my opinion. I don't know that we want to be happy about that. I, but at the same time, I don't know. Maybe it could help their economies. I have no idea. Okay, so two sides of this question. One, I feel like I have absolutely nothing to add on when you're talking about like the electricity costs and all that. I, I'm sure that there are already some governments that are going to use their natural resources to mine, and it is an opportunity for revenue. However, the one thing I will say is we have to keep our the size of our sector in perspective. So in 2016 or 17, I don't know what it is right now, but when the debt Greek crisis was going on, I believe at its peak, we were looking at a national debt of like, $323 billion, 323 billion euros. Um, whereas the total mining revenue for the entire Bitcoin network in 2017 was about 2 billion. And I believe this year, based on the Crypto Voices charts, I think we're looking at like 4 billion in revenue. So all of the Bitcoin network, all of it combined, which makes up like 50% of crypto, right? All of the Bitcoin network is looking at $4 billion. So yes, could Greece set up a mining operation to try to get a portion of that revenue? Sure, but how much can they really make and how much of a dent would that cost in a 323 billion euro international debt? And the answer is probably not much. And of course, I would also say that there's other factors 
with the Greek national debt that aren't just about whatever. That there's other factors there, but I do think that they can make money mining, but I don't think that that's how this problem gets solved. All right, I have a serious problem here, which is that Kareem, you should have raised your hand at the end of Mike's little question. I think that you looked at me like, oh shit, I wasn't ready for this, to get me to say something so that you could make me look stupid, and you crushed me. This is why this was a Kareem question. Uh, he was ready with facts. He was ready with figures. He knew it all. That is a great answer, sir. My okay, answer was So just to be clear, I wasn't looking at you like I don't know nothing. The second part of that question, I have no idea how to answer when he's talking about Assuming the government made deals with energy providers to get free cheap energy, very close to power facilities to defray energy loss due to transmission, all that stuff. Like, I don't know how much energy loss can be. I don't know how much they could save. All I was going to say is mining is not enough to cover the national debt. I, I honestly didn't even know that there was energy loss due to transmission. I didn't even know that this was a thing that needs to be considered in the mining world. Uh, unfortunately, I think Korea makes an excellent point. There it's just not going to be relevant enough to make a dent, in my opinion. It doesn't seem practical. Anything else we're looking to but touch then on? again, maybe if they create a war chest and HODL, then uh, maybe it'll make a dent 10 years from now, as long as they don't check the price. <laughs> I'm imagining the, the Greek citizens have checked the prices of everything quite a bit. Uh, the Czech citizens certainly would. I mean, they're close, like in geographically. Get it? Check. <laughs> No, yep. It was a good joke, Brent. Anyway. All right. I think that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Friday flagship on the Crypto Basic Podcast. My name was Mike. I was here with Brent and Kareem. Thanks again for tuning in. Oh, hey, the members of the Crypto Basic Podcast are not financial advisors. They're pretty much idiots. They don't know anything about anything they're talking about. And they are definitely not providing financial advice. It's just entertainment. If you are listening to this, you should have been laughing. You should have been mad. You should have been probably not listening anymore because we're towards the end of the episode and, and we know this is a disclaimer. Disclaimer.